You guys, I know everybody was here on Easter. The Easter story as Luke tells it. What are your impressions of that version of the story? I think the one everybody probably would count the most memorable is Mary Magdalene showing up at the tomb and mistaking Jesus for the gardener. That's all in John. That's all unique to John. Matthew's got the whole thing where there's an earthquake and the stone rolls away from the tomb, right, on its own. And then angels plop down on it, kind of scoreboarding death. That's a fun one. Uh, Mark's is just weird, of course, because it's Mark. It's um, the women flee in terror, right? And then it's just done. Then it's just done. I mean, normally, the eighth verse of Mark is when the resurrection really ends in Mark. And I, I will stop messing with this at some point. Um, but Luke... Luke's got some extra stuff in there that I think is pretty cool. So we'll read it again. I know we just read it last week, but it's worth, uh, it's worth reading a few times. So Luke 24, and uh, what's great about this chapter is, is there's a bunch of stuff that's unique to Luke here. So, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, and that's, according, of course, referring to the women who had been there preparing spices after the his crucifixion on Friday. Uh, so taking the spices they had prepared, and they found that the stone, uh, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So the, the tomb was already open by the time they get there. But they went in, when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? That's kind of what I highlighted on Easter Sunday. I love that um, because it's a good reminder that he's not in the grave but then where is he? He is the living Christ. And that means, like, that has ramifications for our faith. Um, he's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you he, when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to the sinners and be crucified on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with him, with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in, or stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. That's kind of a funny line, right? Like, oh, okay, weird, but I'll go on home now. <laughs> I don't know, home doesn't seem like the... Right? Like, where else would he have gone, do you think? I don't know. To tell somebody? It probably would have been a better thing. <laughs> Okay, so that's Luke's version. And then, uh, right after that, on the same day, so on Easter, Easter Sunday, we had this story that's unique to Luke. It's a very famous story. Is anybody involved in the Emmaus community? Okay, so that it comes from, from this, uh, inspired by this passage, of course. Um, nobody knows really where Emmaus is. This story, as I said, is unique to Luke. Um, so one of these disciples is totally unknown. Cleopas doesn't appear anywhere else. Um, but it's obviously an appearance uh, of the risen Christ. So now, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, uh, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Were kept. So that's the divine passive. Uh, 
there's there's probably some some stuff we could do <clears throat> with just with that verb tense. Um, but for whatever reason, they did not recognize him. And he said to them, "What are you discussing with each other uh, while you walk along?" They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders... hmm. There we go. We talked about that quite a bit, right? I'm just going to stop messing with this and go like this. Um, our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. Interesting. So the the chief priests and the leaders crucified him. Right? Not the people. Not the Jews. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory. Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. This is a great story. Um, And what the same kind of pattern is going to be repeated in Acts, which I think we get to like in 10 years or something on my path, (laughs) um, where it's the apostle's job to interpret the scriptures to people who want to believe. So Jesus is modeling what the church is going to do. And um, when we when we do study Acts, I think it's just, I, I, it probably has like five or six years, um, we'll keep referring back to the places in the, in, in the gospel where Jesus has done the exact same thing that the disciples, the apostles, end up doing. And that's all the Holy Spirit. And that's a... That's kind of a fearful proposition. I mean, that means that we have the power to do what Jesus did. I mean, that's what, that's what the book of Acts is going to say. Same author. But still, they're, they don't recognize him. So verse 28. As they, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to him to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. It's a really good story. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road that really says the way, on the way, which is the early name for Christianity? While he was opening the scriptures to us. That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and found that the eleven and their companions uh, found the eleven and their companions gathered together. So these are not apostles, right? These are just unnamed extra folks. Um, they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed. <laughs> there we go. And he has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And, of course, that's what we still believe. Like, we believe that in communion, Christ is made known to us. That's the, there's a real spiritual presence in the sacrament. Now, for a Catholic, that would be a different kind of thing. It would be con- uh, transubstantiation, like his actual physical body and, and blood. Uh, but for us, it's a spiritual presence and kind of based on that story. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. This is crazy, right? So he's vanishing, he's reappearing, he's just, it's, it's kind of fun, actually. They were startled and terrified. Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All of a sudden, he just appears. <laughs> and they thought they were seeing a ghost. Of course they thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? <laughs> and why do doubts arise in your heart? That's just funny. That's a funny question to me. Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. While in their joy, and that's great. That's a really powerful. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. He is standing with them. (laughs) So anybody who ever goes through a period of, of doubt or challenge or wrestling with their faith, we don't really have to feel bad about that, right? Because, I mean, the original ones... On the day that he was, uh, right, the same day, right, according to the narrative, they were still joyful and disbelieving and wondering. Um, Anyway, while they were doing all that, verse 41, he said to them, "Ah, I'm hungry, by the way. I haven't eaten since Thursday night. You got got something to eat? (laughs) They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. And ghosts don't do that, right? And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things, and see, I am sending upon you uh, what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Holy Spirit. Now, remember, this author also wrote Acts, and it was joined together at the beginning. This was not two volumes at the beginning. The church split it because... um, there was another gospel. And they knew John was different enough that they couldn't... I really hate this thing. Um, that they couldn't go... They couldn't... Like, they needed to put the synoptics together. Then John, which does a whole, something totally different, and then Acts comes immediately after that. But originally, when Luke wrote it, it goes from one to the next. And so let's just flip to Acts real quick. So he says, hang out here in Jerusalem... Hello to my bride at the back of the room. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) So here's how it starts. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, after his suffering, he prescribed, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs 
right? So he appears, then he vanishes, then he shows up again, then he says he's hungry. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So that, so there's a 40-day period between uh, the resurrection and now, I guess. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. How many times have you heard the word Jerusalem in the past? Like, stay here in Jerusalem. It's going to happen in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. So the gospel, we've talked about this many times, begins in Jerusalem. It, uh, ten chapters of it is a journey to Jerusalem. It ends in Jerusalem. And he says, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Because for this author, uh, this whole notion of three epics in uh, God's salvation history is important. So Israel, I know I've written this up a bunch of times, but it's really important. Israel was the first epic, this really short, I'm writing, I'm saying E-P-O-C-H of God's salvation history. Jesus, that's obviously the gospel and the briefest, and then the church. And that story begins in Acts and then continues. And what's important to um, to Luke is to make sure that all three of these epics are connected. But remember, this is not a Jewish author because, and we've seen all throughout the gospel, he he messes up some basic details of Jewish piety. Um, he uh, is not familiar with some basic things. He he leaves out some Aramaic words that the other gospels include because it's not important to his Gentile Christian audience. But it is important to him that Jesus has a connection to what God has done in the past and is the bridge to what God will do in the future. And the hinge on which all that turns, geographically, and in this gospel, geography really is theology, is Jerusalem. Because that's uh, kind of the, the culmination of God's work in the first epoch and the starting point of God's work in the third. And we're still living in the third So I'm going to just finish this little section here. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, what are y'all waiting for? Get busy. (laughs) He's not here anymore. Now you got a job to do. Because this part of God's salvation history is done. Now this is the one that we're in until the culmination of all things. And the actor here, who's the actor here? Yeah, it's us. Like it or not, guided by the Holy Spirit. So one way, to, like if you're going to think of this in Trinitarian terms, you can think of God the Father here, kind of the beginning of the story. Now, I'm going to, this massive caveat, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all co-eternal, so they're all all there all the time, but in terms of the 
the person of the Trinity who is the primary actor in that particular epic, it would be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit through us. And then, verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, and they had to wait there until Pentecost. Okay, so back to 24 real quick. So in those, in those closing verses of, of 24, the closing verses of what Luke records as the second epic of God's salvation history, verse 27, verse 47 rather, Repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed. So repentance and forgiveness, we've talked about that on and on and on, over and over and over again in this gospel. It's a key, it's an emphasis in Christian theology in general, but it's a particular emphasis for this gospel author. It's at the very beginning. Uh, it's announced in the first chapter. That's what Jesus is going to be about. When he preaches his first sermon in chapter 4, he specifically says it. It comes up over and over and over again. And uh, he says it himself one more time at the end. And makes clear that that gospel of repentance and forgiveness is to be proclaimed where? To all nations. From where? <laughs> from Jerusalem. So this, uh, it, it, like, it's, a, it's an ongoing story. And we never, never can lose sight of the fact that God's story began the day of creation. Probably before the day of creation. And will continue until, however, however you want to think about it, final judgment, second coming, the culmination of all things, when God will be all in all. And I love the fact that this, like this is us. We can, confirmation today. I told the kids, like I know this, like you're mostly middle schoolers, but this is the most important decision you'll ever make. Do you love him or not? Is he your Lord or not? Are you going to make him the most important thing in your life, or are you not? Because if you do, that will change everything else about your life. And if, that, and if your priority is correct there, then life's not always going to be easy. We could go around the room and talk about all the ways life gets hard. But there's somebody walking with you through it, and there is uh, an end game. <laughs> For all the Marvel fans out there, both two of whom live in my house, there is an end game, and it's good, and we get to be part of it. And I just want to, since it's going to be you know ten years since we get to Acts, let's just turn to the end of Acts now, just so I can paint you know fin finish painting the picture here. So there's 28 chapters of Acts. This is the last chapter of a magnum opus by the author who has written a quarter of the New Testament. Right? A quarter of the New Testament. All of our best stories about Jesus, not all of them, many, many of our best stories about Jesus are written by this author. Most of what we know about the work of the early church is from this author. He has been, he is the consummate storyteller. Right? Every one of those narratives that we've read is tightly woven. It's got a plot. It's got great dialogue. It's engaging. It's compelling. Like, this guy knows how to tell a story. So, let's pick up. This is the... So, Paul is preaching in Rome. And we'll pick up with uh, verse 23. 
After they had set a day to meet him, they came to him at his lodgings in great numbers. From morning until evening, he explained the matter to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he had said, while others refused to believe. So they disagreed with each other. And as they were leaving, Paul made one further statement. The Holy Spirit was right. (laughs) Holy Spirit, in case you're wondering about the importance of the Holy Spirit. In saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah, Go to this people and say, You will indeed listen, but never understand. You will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing. And they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Let it be known to you, then, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That doesn't sound like an ending to me. (laughs) Because it's not. This is the first sermon I ever preached at a rabbit hole. It's called dot, dot, dot. That ellipsis right there. We are the rest of the story. And the ending doesn't come until some unknown future, which Jesus told us earlier in Acts, we're not going to know. All we can do is work towards it and be faithful. I love that. I love that. So it's got a definite uh, beginning and a really important middle, but a really short middle. I mean, that's one year, really, of ministry. John is three, but Jesus' ministry is pretty short. But it's all his whole life, so let's go with the whole thing. 33 years. So a long time and 33 years and almost 2,000 years and counting. And we get to be part of it. And what this author wants us to know are the themes that we talked about all throughout Luke. That the work of the Holy Spirit is important. That prayer is a big deal. Big enough deal that even God incarnate took it very seriously. That uh, the God who was faithful to God's people in the era of Israel was remained faithful in the era of Jesus and is still faithful in the era of the church. That what God promises, God fulfills. Uh, that the gospel is about, yes, forgiveness, and yes, repentance, and both of those things are really important. Um, and that this message, it is about the cross, but it's very much about the resurrection. <laughs> Because the living Christ, why do you look for the living among the dead? The living Christ lives in every one of us and will forever as we live out this dot, dot, dot. It's awesome. It's so, so good. Okay. Questions, thoughts? Yes. Yeah, that's a good question. So the question was, um, was there, was a difference in the Holy Spirit? West America. Um, in the Old Testament, Versus now that we realize it, thanks to God pointing it out, thanks to Jesus pointing it out. That's a good way to look at it. One of the things that you have to be able to answer when you're getting ordained in the United Methodist Church is where you see evidence of Christ and the Spirit in the Old Testament. Because that, and that kind of trips people up because you, you don't want it to be um, like you want the Old Testament to stand on its own, uh, like our, our Jewish brothers and sisters would read it very differently. But we, through our lens, our Christian lens, can see the Holy Spirit at work, obviously in the creation story, obviously in the prophets and David. <clears throat> um, and if you 
understand the Son to be the co-creator and co-eternal with God, then you can you know clearly see him there too. But um, yeah, the realization is a big deal. And really, frankly, in our in our theology of grace, it's the same way. So when we baptize a baby, um, w- when we baptize a baby, we're not giving the baby the Holy Spirit, right? We don't believe that. We believe we're acknowledging that the Holy Spirit's already at work in that child, and that's a, that's a pretty significant difference, at least in nuanced understanding between different Christian traditions, um, like traditions that. Um, uh, like pr- that practice believers baptism, you know, uh, pr- understand it a little bit differently than we do. So when we say we get this, we have this thing called provenient grace. It's one of our unique understandings of the way God's at work in the world. Um, and then the other two are justifying and sanctifying. And the reason we baptize infants is we, because we believe God is at work in us already and is calling us into a relationship from the moment. I mean, I don't want to get into, but like from the moment we are, <laughs> leave it that way. And so um, what a child does at confirmation is to make this kind of justifying commitment for themselves to place their faith in Christ as Lord. But they don't receive, that's not when they receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's always with us. Now, the church received the Holy Spirit in a unique way at Pentecost, <clears throat> but that was a it was a realization thing. It was a it was a claiming our authority to enter into this third era of our salvation history. It's really that's great theology. I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's great theology. Other thoughts? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have, like, you have to read. I, I just think it's so important. Like, in even preaching on Luke, you really kind of have to mention that Acts is the second part of the story. And uh, you can't bog down in a Bible study every time you preach on it, but it, it really is relevant because it shows up in unique ways. Just like when you're in you're preaching on Acts, you kind of got to harken back to Luke because it's, you know, part A of the story. Okay. Any other thoughts? Uh, Oh, I like that. That's good. Um, (laughs) So I I think the the so I would say, I mean, so the question is, who are these two? So any any connections we draw between Gospels, um, I'm always hesitant to do just because they are writing different places, different audiences may or may not know. I mean, Luke and Matthew know Mark. John's relationship to them has always been a little bit of a puzzle to scholars because it's just so different. Um, whether or not this author had John's, you know, source or whatever in front of him, uh, who knows? We the, the key things are that is it not weird that he appears first not to the eleven and not to the women at the tomb, like to these two randos on the road to Emmaus? Like who are these? We don't even know them. Like. I, I don't know, but I love the idea that one of them is a woman. I never, I, I hate to say, I just assumed they were two guys, but that's uh, showing my bias, I suppose. Okay. Well, listen, when we did the Bible in 50, we had one day with Luke. 10 is way better. And uh, I really appreciate you guys being with being here all, all these 10 weeks and having these awesome conversations.